This is Rumble, and I am Michael Moore, and I am, I don't know what I am, livid, fearful, upset, angry, afraid. What the hell is going on in Michigan? This is, I just, I don't want to take up a lot of everybody's time today with this, because I want to get to fixing this, fixing this as a Michigander, and I'll just say this, I this is personal to me, not just because I live there whenever I'm not out making a movie somewhere. I'm uh, there in Michigan, but I have not been there because I was in the middle of starting my next project last March here in New York. And not that I don't want to be in New York. It's a wonderful town, but I had to make a decision and I thought it'd be smarter to stay here. Little did I know that New York would become a death colony and where one in every 300 New Yorkers would die where people would die in my apartment building. And I just kept thinking, why am I not in Michigan? Why am I not in Michigan? Why didn't I, I didn't want to get on a plane and go to Michigan. I just thought, stay here. This will pass. It didn't pass. And um, I began to have a number of experts, including my guest here today. Dr. Erwin Redliner, you've heard him before here on Rumble. He's a renowned pediatrician, scholar, advocate for children's health. He's an expert on disaster preparedness. In 1987, uh, Dr. Redliner, he co-founded the Children's Health Fund in New York City. And if you remember back in the day, if you were a fan of Simon and Garfunkel, Paul Simon wanted to help get... Dr. Redliner get these mobile units throughout the city of New York, especially in the poor neighborhoods to bring health care to the people and especially to children. That's the person we're talking to here again today. He's the author of two books, Americans at Risk, Why We Are Not Prepared for Mega Disasters. Well, we already knew, you read the title, you already know this to be true. Why we are not prepared for mega disasters and what, oh, this is the better part, and what we can do now, and also the future of us, what the dreams of children mean for 21st century America. And also, let me just add this. Uh, Dr. Redliner is very familiar with public health in the state of Michigan because he and the Children's Health Fund have brought mobile medical units to Flint, Michigan. So basically, we're talking again, this is a doctor's office on wheels in a city that needs it perhaps more than any place else in this country. He went to Flint to help out, 
and and he and the Children's Health Fund have done this now in many cities in need across the country. I'm pleased to welcome Dr. Irwin Redliner back here to Rumble. Dr. Redliner, thank you so much. Well, you're very welcome, Michael Moore. And I'm telling you, your your persistent voice in all of these matters has been really incredible. And I just want to acknowledge that uh, you have made a difference in American life for a very long time, uh, nonstop. So thank you for what well, you do. Well, it's kind of you to say that, but but I feel like the work is not done. No, nobody's work is done. Who's involved with public health and children yes. and these and the pandemic certainly. So, uh, so here in the last let's say a few months, and maybe this is just a result of me getting my second dose of of the Pfizer vaccine. And you talk to anybody after they get that second shot, it's like zippity doodah, yeah. skipping down the sidewalk. Like, yeah. oh my God, I think I'm going to live. It's such a great feeling. Um, Keep your mask on because, first of all, we are all part of this great experiment because we don't know Mr. Coronavirus COVID-19, still learning things about him. But I have to say, so I started to get optimistic after the second shot and also seeing so many other millions get their vaccination, wearing the mask, doing the basic things keeping the social distance still. And then all of a sudden, what was happening, especially in my state of Michigan, becoming the, the a state that, that I just read this morning has tripled the number of COVID cases, is now leading the country in the number of teenagers and young adults who are getting COVID. And I'm like, wait a minute, what what is going on here? And, and, you know, and I have advocated throughout the state of Michigan. Come on, everybody. Let's get the shot. I'll, you know, I'll go first. You'll see. I'm not going to drop like a fly. Of course, this upset some people that I didn't, but we'll leave yeah. that to another show. But I'm just, <laughs> I'm just, I'm just saying yeah. that things seem to be going better until yeah. they weren't. Now, pile on spring break elsewhere in the country. Pile on the Texas Rangers. Now we've got two teams to hate in Texas. The Texas Rangers for having 40,000 people in the stands the other day. This goes along with the Houston Astros cheating scandal from a couple years ago. Again, we won't get into that today. But Dr. Redliner, I have started a nonprofit many years ago, 15 years ago in Michigan, to restore old movie theaters and open them up as nonprofit movies. Uh, art houses for the public and two in the town i live in traverse city michigan uh, i essentially run these two movie theaters mm-hmm. we my committee my pandemic committee and others were getting ready to make a plan to reopen these theaters later possibly this summer or fall and to bring back our summer film festival or at least some version of it now remember because these are nonprofits. I don't have to answer to shareholders. I don't have to make a profit. Um, I don't have to go along with with our good governor. She's, you know, allowed theaters to reopen 25% capacity, whatever. Fine. We decided not to do that. We wanted to set an example. There is no rush. We're so close. We're so close. Why ruin it? What has happened here to Michigan in the last week or two? Because now... 
I don't know if we're going to have a film festival. I don't know if we're going to be able to reopen these theaters. I will not reopen them unless and until it is safe. Well, you know, first of all, this is quite eerie to me because two weeks ago, New York was the centerpiece of the new surge and people asking exactly the same questions. It's a little deja vu here going on because people were asking me, why is there a new surge in New York? What's happening? And that sort of died down. And now we have Michigan, maybe Wisconsin, and maybe other places that are popping up. You know, this is like a pandemic whack-a-mole, Michael. And um, there's a lot of explaining to do here. And I think part of the introduction, you, you said what is absolutely true, is that we don't actually know a whole lot. I mean, we know plenty, but nowhere near the full picture of what this virus is about. And what we particularly don't know and what particularly makes the experts upset or distressed is that there's a lot to be learned still um, about the mutations. We call them variants that we have popping up all over the world. And the longer we have festering uh, venues where the, um, the virus is rapidly replicating, it opens up more uh, possibilities for new mutations to appear. And by the way, the current most prevalent form of the virus that we see in the United States now is the one that we imported from the UK not too long ago, the B117. Right. right. And I'm telling you, it's like no one would have predicted that would become the predominant one here. But we also have, you know, scary variants in South Africa and in Brazil and elsewhere. But the the doctors in Detroit and at the University of Michigan yeah. have told me that they are now finding this UK variant in patients more than the old coronavirus from last year. Yes, I'm saying this is the new predominant virus that's floating around in America, but it may not be the last mutation. We may get a mutation that is even more uh, contagious, more deadly, and, and potentially resistant to the vaccines that are out there. But I don't want to really, I don't want to go there yet. We don't need to. But what we need to say right now about Michigan, Michael, is that we probably have some variants in Michigan uh, that we're not really familiar with yet. We're not doing enough what's called genomic surveillance to, to determine specifically what's out there, although we do know the B117 is there, the, the UK variant. But there's, that's one factor. What are the variants waiting in the wings that have already started to manifest themselves in places like New York, Wisconsin, and Michigan? The second thing, which is a little ironic in a way for some people, is that Michigan actually did a really good job of uh, people staying on track with the wearing masks and the distancing and hand right, right. So we have a lot more people who didn't get sick who may be vulnerable, especially these new variants, which is why we have to make sure we are not letting up on these public health uh, protections uh, for the moment, certainly for right now, until we get, you know, a good 80% of Americans uh, vaccinated. So we're in this kind of multiple race uh, with uh, how fast the the virus is mutating, how fast we're getting people vaccinated, how disciplined we are in sustaining those public health measures. And it's a big, it, it's a crisis. I am concerned, but we haven't lost the game, Michael. I think it's really important to emphasize that we're gonna we're gonna 
beat this. I, you know, we have 560,000 fatalities so far from uh, COVID-19. I'm afraid we'll get to 600, 700,000 before this is all over. Mm. But it could have been worse if I'm allowed to say such a thing in the, yes. in the face of so much uh, death and disease. But it could have been a lot worse. And it may well, you know, it's possible to get worse. But right now, I, I'm trying to remain optimistic. And I think uh, people who are listening to this ought to also with one caveat, don't let up on those public health protection measures that we all are so familiar with. Can't let up. So everybody, keep wearing your masks, keep social distancing, keep washing your hands. Yeah. But you know, a lot of people, Congresswoman uh, uh, Rashida Tlaib today and others are saying, we need more vaccine in Michigan. They, they've been dividing it up on a per capita basis. Okay, so here's Michigan's population. So we get less than Illinois, but Illinois isn't getting this surge right now. We're getting it. Shouldn't more of the vaccine uh, be making its way to Michigan to get into the arms of as many people as possible? And what can somebody like I do in Michigan to make that happen? Well, first of all, I completely agree with you. And I I didn't agree with the uh, distribution on the basis of percentage of the total population from the get-go. And the reason was that there are many, many people who live in very isolated communities. You know, it's one thing to talk about getting people vaccinated in Detroit or Ann Arbor. It's another thing uh, to talk about getting people vaccinated in the middle of, uh, you know, South Dakota where there's very high risk or whatever it might be. But but I think we should have a much more fine-tuned policy, Michael, I think was what you're saying. Uh, yeah, we're having, a, we're having a surge in New York or Wisconsin or Michigan. Let's overload those states with immediately. vaccine supply. Yes, immediately. Tomorrow, this morning. You know, it's Tomorrow, like, yes. Yeah. So, and we have the supply, although there's some hiccups there too. You know, like, uh, well, you know, the, the Johnson & Johnson one-shot vaccine had had some manufacturing problems um, in the last uh, couple of weeks. So their expectations for the amount of J&J vaccine that would be out there uh, you know, those expectations are not being met right now. But we still have plenty of vaccine around. And I 100% agree with you, Michael. Ship that stuff out, you know, tomorrow, tonight. Let it arrive tomorrow morning and start focusing on the areas where we're seeing the outbreaks. Look, I called this whack-a-mole. But that's okay. So wherever there's a mole, we got to whack it with vaccine, just to put it, in, you know, sort of a silly uh, metaphor there. But I, I completely agree with you. Okay, so... How do we make this happen? Um, so you are one of the country's best advocates. And I, I'm, first of all, I, I think we got to get the government of Michigan, the governor and the health commission and so on, have to be banging down the doors of federal agencies in Washington and push for this notion of put the vaccine where the problem areas are. And secondly, the message has to also get to uh, relevant members of the president's COVID-19 team, and by the way, they're absolutely fantastic, and to the appropriate agencies, the CDC, and so on. So, yeah, it's, it's basically putting the pressure on. Um, you have several very powerful uh, members of Congress out of Michigan, including uh, Debbie Stabenow, and, uh, you know, Kildee, uh, mm-hmm. Kildee, and so on. Uh, Gary Peters, Gary, right? Gary, mm-hmm. right. So, so just Keep banging on those doors, um, Michael, and have your listeners do so. It's amazing how far that will go. Send emails 
whatever you have to do, make calls to the offices and leave the message. More vaccine from Michigan. We're the hotspot in America right now. We need that focus. The New York Times did an excellent piece at the end of last week on the state of Michigan. And I just, I wanted to send it to everybody in the state saying, look, folks, sometimes you need people from outside of where we live letting us know what we're doing right and what we're doing wrong. Yeah. And I have not been in favor, and I love our governor, but I'm not in favor of this reopening. I think it's a bit too soon. And why can't we just wait just a little bit longer? Yeah. yeah I, mean, what is, I mean, you know what this sounds like? This sounds like me when I was a six-year-old on Christmas morning. I mean, seriously, my sisters were, were well-behaved and they stayed in bed and they were sleeping. I was already up at five o'clock, yeah. hoping, to, hoping to catch Santa. Uh, yeah. Always missed him for some reason. <laughs> but my parents were out there and they were doing the final, whatever they were doing to get the presents. And I wanted to see, I couldn't wait. I didn't want to wait. And we were supposed to stay in bed until 7 a.m. But I'm up at six because I can't wait because I want my present. I want I want spring break. I want to go to a ball game. I want. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I'm an adult now. Yeah. And and I yeah. do I I want to turn off the six year old in me that is saying, I want I wanna I wanna go back to normal. I wanna eat in a restaurant, I wanna do this. And it's it's like it's it's I think I have the will and the maturity to be able to do this and to encourage others to follow suit. You must be pulling the hair out of your head looking at the rest of the country though, how why can't we wait? Why are they doing this? We're, we're months, maybe weeks away from the turning point. I know. I, I know. Just, yeah. It must be driving you crazy. It at drives this point. me crazy. You know, it's like, it's this kind of irresponsible recklessness. And, you know, so Duke University, uh, there was some unauthorized off-campus fraternity party a few weeks ago, and 180 kids tested positive. So they have shut down Duke for a week. You have these kids going down to the beaches of Florida, not discouraged by uh, DeSantis, parting it up like it was 1999, and going to come back as uh, you know transmitters of uh, coronavirus to wherever they came from, whatever communities they came from, to go down there. Acts of irresponsibility and recklessness. But by far, Michael, the worst is when a governor like Greg Abbott, I'm just, fumes are coming out of my ears right now because... For him to make a decision to open up when he did, as fully as he did, and to allow, along with Major League Baseball, uh, Texas Rangers to, to play yeah. in front of packed stadiums, yeah. is a miscarriage of adult governmental responsibility in the worst possible way. This is not his personal risk. He's risking the rest of us, and not just Texas, because the virus doesn't give a damn where they, uh, what the state borders are. It's just going to run rampant from wherever they unleash these new surges and, and uh, you know, super spreader events. Yeah, I'm furious. I'm just furious. And, um, yeah, and we're not disciplined. We are supposed to be adults. And the, you get elected a governor, I don't care what party it is, you have a responsibility to protect the health and well-being of your citizens and the rest of the countries. But for God's sakes, they're out of control. What I don't know what's happened to us. I mean, my parents, they are depressed. They were depression babies. They got through World War II, but every, everything that we succeeded at, whether yeah. it was winning World War II, whether it was building the interstate highway system with Eisenhower, 
where yeah. you know uh, Kennedy saying we're going to put a man on the moon in in eight years. I mean, all those things that we used to do. Now it's like, mm, what do we? What have we? I don't understand what we've turned into. I know. And I know. and so here's my question to you, because uh, I really I wanted to. I, I I said to you at the beginning, I don't want to stay on this microphone very long. I want to get off this. I want to make those calls to our representatives in Michigan. I want I want to put a word in to the people I know in the Biden administration. And and I want this fixed immediately and I want more vaccines in the state of Michigan immediately. But on a personal level, what am I going to do what am I going to do about my film festival this summer? Because I now I we were all of us, we were a bunch of us in Michigan, we were working toward a safe way to do a version of this festival so that people would not get sick and not die. Now, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I am losing hope and I'm thinking we're not going to be able to do this. We're not going to, these two wonderful theaters, one of them is 105 years old this summer, uh-huh. uh, that we're not going to be able to open it up in 2021. And I, I can't believe I'm saying those words because everything we've been doing has been toward a reopening sometime yeah. this year asking you as an unofficial un, unpaid advisor. <laughs> thank you for that, by the way, to our, to our film festival and to our nonprofit. What do we do here? What can I do? I mean, I'm going to do everything I can do to try to yep. bring this rate down. Right. And I ask everybody listening to this to do the same in your States. Yeah. But I can't, we, we couldn't do the film festival last summer. Yeah. The last day that we showed a movie in our movie theaters was March 12th of last year. Um, yeah. and, and it's, it's hurt the morale of the community. Yeah. It's, it's people are low. Their spirits are low. So, well, first of all, by the way, I'd be happy to be a, an unpaid formal advisor. Oh, thank you. Uh, <laughs> thank you for that. Like, but, but here's what I think you can do. It's not all is not lost. Michael. You could establish criteria to allow safe reopening of the theater. For example, reduce capacity. For example, right. uh, mandatory uh, rapid testing for anybody that comes to the theater. Mm. For example, at some point, being able to say, you can come here if you can show proof of vaccination. You know, the so-called vaccine passport. Yes. Um, you could not have your food serving, whatever, whatever it is you might have going on there. You could not, not have that happening. But people are spaced out appropriately. Right. We'll skip. We'll skip the pop. Skip the popcorn for now. Yeah. Skip the popcorn. But you have hand sanitizer all over the place. You have people spaced out. Mm-hmm. You have tested people. Can do that. And or required uh, to prove a vaccine. You could have a limited, you know, COVID nineteen kind of opening, which would be fine. It's maybe the way to go this year. Don't you think by the fall though? Shouldn't most certainly most adults, but adults and teenagers by the fall. Uh, will be vaccinated. And, yeah, and but here's the problem. So yeah. in order to get what's called the herd immunity, as you well know, which means that we have enough people vaccinated so we've completely shut down uh, the vast majority of the spread of the virus, we're going to need 80% of the population vaccinated. You can't get to 80% if you don't vaccinate children as well as adults. So children mm-hmm. uh, through age 18 uh, comprise about you know 23 25% of the population. 
Right. So if you leave them out of the equation, you can't get the 80% uh, herd immunity levels. So, but on the other hand, we do have uh, children being uh, in, in, uh, uh, in the uh, trials now. Right. And I think by midsummer, we'll start getting very young children, as well as uh, obviously uh, middle school age and high school kids, really getting uh, many, many people of that younger age group vaccinated. So this is the direction we're heading in. I think we will get there. And I think if I were you, I would be planning for some opening with certain caveats and criteria uh, in the fall. Well, the one caveat that I want to say to the public, and I know I'm going to get some pushback on this. I want to say to them, I want you to know that if you come into this theater, that you can feel safe. And one of the reasons you can feel safe is that everybody else in the theater has proven because they brought their vaccination card that they've been vaccinated. Yeah. Would like, I'll ask people right now, just listening to me and you right now, would like a lot of people don't want to go back into a Broadway theater yet. They don't want to go into a movie theater. I get it. Any, any building that doesn't have windows where you can get fresh air is not the safest building to be in, as opposed to someplace that has good circulation. But, but if I promised you that everybody else in the theater, that we will guarantee that they too have been vaccinated, Will you come to a movie like like I'm in New York now? You're right. The theaters are open partially. I have not gone to a movie. I would go, though, if Governor Cuomo or Mayor de Blasio said uh, we're going to we're going to open this up a little bit more. But you have to prove you've been vaccinated. And if that was the case. And remember, I don't need to open these theaters tomorrow. I'm talking about opening them later in the summer or even the fall. Yeah. thinking that by then most people could produce a vaccination card proving they were vaccinated. I think I would go into that movie theater and watch a movie. And I think most people would too. Am I crazy to no, suggest that? I would sit right next to you in that theater then actually. Right. So, yeah. Cause I know that you're fully vaccinated. I'm fully vaccinated. And just as a precaution and out of respect for everybody else, we're also going to sit there and watch the movie with our mask on. Right. And uh, we, we're going to sit there, you know, three seats separating us. Yes. And yes. yes, of course. Mike, one other caveat here. And the caveat is, you know, you're, you're dealing with these older theaters, as you pointed out. What, how is the circulation in those theaters? And if, that would be worth, you know, for now and for the future, uh, upgrading the circulation, have an engineer, the corporate engineer inspect yes. it. So that we know that the uh, the ventilation system is functioning, so that we have enough turnover of the, of the air Correct. room, it's a very important safety measure. No, we are absolutely going to do that, and we're going to ask. We have great support in Northern Michigan for these theaters, yeah. and I'm gonna and I've already got the engineers and architects on this, the HVAC people who put in it. We we got a new boiler just a couple years ago. Yeah. So what do we need to do to up this so we have more circulation? We don't want the air yeah. staying in the theater for five hours. We no. want the air to come in and we want the air to go out. Correct. And I think people, it's not going to cost a lot of money. I think people will pay for this to know that they're going to be breathing fresh air 
while they're sitting there with a fully vaccinated audience wearing their masks and not taking the masks off to eat popcorn. Am I on the right path here? I'm telling you, if you do those things and you are kind enough to invite me, I will come out for the grand reopening. Oh, my God. Your theaters. Oh, I would love that. I would love that. And you know what? I will I will make you also official programmer for a day. I want you to seriously, you there must be a great film, a documentary maybe or something that we all should be watching. Something that that you've run across, well, something yeah. that you've helped over the years. Uh you come, we'll show that movie that you've programmed and you do the Q&A afterwards and we'll also do this for the people that if they if they can't get enough people in because of the social distancing, we'll have it online. We'll stream it. People can watch it. Think about that. I'm going to take you up on your offer uh, to come to Traverse City, Michigan, and and do this. It's wow. That- I am so excited about what you just said. I can't begin to tell you how cool. And we and we can set an example for the rest of the country. Here's yeah. how it can be done. Here's how we can do this safely. No one's going to get sick. No one's going to die. And, and, and we have your best interests at heart. We don't have the bottom line. We don't have the, uh, the profit motive. We have only your best interests and the fact that you love going to the movies. Yes. That's it. That's it. Yes. So, okay. I yeah. feel so much better already now <laughs> talking to you about this. Hold that thought for just one second. Cause I need to give a shout out here to our great underwriter of tonight's uh, episode, signal wire. Signal Wire's technology is powering the future of remote business communications. For example, when a major TV studio recently needed to figure out how to have actors remotely re-record their lines, they used Signal Wire. So there was virtually no sound or video lag, which allowed them to keep production moving. And because of Signal Wire's great design, it's also great for informal communications with the people you're working with. Sometimes the best ideas come from those random, unplanned chit-chats that you have with the creative people that you work with. This is the best technology right now in the business, so anyone who wants to get ahead of the game when it comes to communicating remotely should hop on board with SignalWire. And because SignalWire loves Rumble, sign up before April 30th at SignalWire.com. That's SignalWire, all one word, with the code MORE. That's my name, M-O-O-R-E. And SignalWire will buy lunch for your first team meeting. Terms and conditions may apply. So, folks, this is SignalWire.com. Use the code MORE, M-O-O-R-E, SignalWire, and that's all one word, S-I-G-N-A-L Wire, W-I-R-E, SignalWire.com. I also want to thank Amazon Studios and their brilliant documentary film, Time. Amazon Studios makes some outstanding films, especially nonfiction films, and Time by director Garrett Bradley is an absolute must-see. She's been nominated already for this year's Academy Awards for Best Documentary. You know, when... When discussing what's wrong about our system of mass incarceration, people often always focus on those who are wrongfully convicted. I have spent a lifetime focusing on this, and I just believe there are so many people that should be nowhere near a jail because they're innocent throughout the years. It's got to be in 
high numbers, right? Here's what's interesting about this movie. This film actually centers on a family who did commit the crime. Whoa. So it poses this question. If someone makes a mistake, does that mean that they are now no longer worthy of love, compassion, and to be treated as a human being? How do we treat those who've made a mistake? The prison industrial complex is not only unjust to people who did not commit crimes, it is barbaric and racist and inhumane to the people who have committed a crime. And that I and you, many of us just are unable to live with that. And this film helps tell that story and allows the audience to see life through their eyes. So, my friends, do yourself a favor. Watch the movie Time on Prime. I'll have a link uh, to the film right here on the description page of this episode. And again, I want to thank Amazon Studios for supporting this podcast, supporting my voice, and supporting the work of talented filmmakers like Garrett Bradley and her excellent film, Time. Our voices as citizens must be heard tonight, tomorrow, uh, immediately. Whether you live in Michigan and you contact your member of Congress, I'll give the number again, Capitol Hill switchboard. It works for the senators and the members of the House of Representatives. Are you ready? 202-224-3121. 202-224-3121. If you don't know the name of your member of Congress, I'm not going to shame you about this. All you got to do is give your zip code, the switchboard, man or woman will tell you who your rep is and connect you do this demand. We need more vaccine in these for crying out loud, Michigan. We make the vaccine in Kalamazoo. What is the, why, why do we have the most COVID cases when we are producing the vaccine? This is insanity. It's not right. I tell you not right, Michael, but you can fix it. Let's fix it. We're going to fix it. And if you live in other states, fix it in your states. Make your voices heard. Even though we know we've got good people in the White House now, good people doing things, they need the nudge. That's our job as citizens. We need to do this. Dr. Redletter is with me on this. And totally. um, and I don't want to spend any more time on this podcast right now. I want everybody, we're going to stop. We want you to go to the phones, your phones, make these calls, send an email, do whatever it is you've got to do. But there's no reason we cannot contain, and you correct me if I'm wrong, Dr. Redliner, there is no reason we cannot contain this virus in this year with the understanding that there may be other mutations and other things. We know there may be new pandemics coming our way in two or five or 10 years. We're not out of any woods here, but uh, we must have a belief that if we do the things we need to do, we can contain this. We we can have actual optimistic. Yeah. You know, it's not false hope, what we call hopium. Yeah. I'm not asking anybody to put hopium inside their brain. I believe we can do this. And I support you 100%, Michael. And uh, well, always great talking about stuff like this. And I, I think people should heed your advice. 
make that phone call. But I just want to say one thing about these phone calls. Yes. They are not ignored. No, they are They not. are compiled. The staff will answer. You'll say what you want to say. And the, the member of Congress, the, either in the House or the Senate, will get the message. They'll say something like, hey, we got 150 calls today from people uh, from Michigan who want us to do such and such. They'll get that message and it makes a difference. Don't think you don't make a difference because you're just one person. When, when Dr. Redliner said 150 calls, that's a lot of calls. It's crazy. It's crazy. You don't, yeah. you don't need tens of thousands of calls. In fact, I, I re- when we had our show on, N- on, N- on NBC, I said, now you're going to get calls on this. People are not going to like what I'm saying. And I, so I said, I said to the person, the executive at NBC, actually, when you do get calls, like angry calls about a show, what do you consider to be a lot of calls? And, and she said, four. <laughs> I said, yeah. I said, four, you mean from the whole country? She goes, oh yeah, if we get four calls, that's a lot. And I'm oh, like, yeah. wow, oh, yeah. boy, if people only knew the power that they have, that's yeah. you, the people, you do hold this power. Dr. Erwin Redliner from Columbia University, all the great things you've done. Thank you for helping out in Flint too. Sure. Everything, uh, it's so much appreciated. Uh, if you ever see Paul Simon again, I don't know if you guys are, still in contact, but thank him for all those children's mobile units. I certainly will, Michael. Yeah, we're in touch by text periodically, and uh, yeah, he's 80 now. And Oh, uh, my God, wow. Yeah. Well, that is, I'm telling you, he has always been a force for good. Yeah. And uh, so please thank him for us. We'll and do. thank you. And let's, uh, we'll touch base again here in the, in the coming months. Looking uh, forward. But uh, this has been, uh, we know what we need to do in Michigan, and the rest of you, you need to, you know, what you need to do in the rest of your states. Um, this is Rumble. I'm Michael Moore. This is Dr. Redliner. Let's do our job. Everybody, now, thank you. Good night. Good night. And thank you to our executive producer, Basil Hamden, and our editor, Nick Quaz, who are also now stopping what they're doing and calling their members of Congress. <laughs>